Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps a ton get the show out there, brings it up in the visibility. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the major players in podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you should be able to find us. I'd love to remind you also that our podcast host, Podium, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of their premium services and 25% off your first month of a premium membership. All you got to do is sign up using the offer code Longhorn. They make it super easy to make a podcast. You record and edit, upload it to them. They take care of the rest. They hook you up with all of the different podcast servers. That's why you saw one week we just shot up on all of the different hosts because they added a button where she's like, submit to Spotify, submit to TuneIn, submit to Stitcher. Made it so, so simple. So again, if you want to start a podcast, it's never been easy easier or cheaper for you to do so. So go to Podiant, that's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, sign up using the offer code Longhorn, and you will get 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by my good friend, a man whose beard is thicker, he looks wiser, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Well, I've been through some things, you know, the uh, the beard growth is symbolic of the inner growth. I... Uh, I'm trying to reach and stay in my zen-like mode uh, as we head into the holiday season and remind both our listeners and myself that uh, we're not defined by the outcome of winning a game. It's nice when it happens. We enjoy it. But uh, true growth is when you can, like a duck, let that run off of your back. Yeah, that's all well and good. I'm still super pissed about the game. Before we jump into that, Kyle, let's talk a little bit about our uh, our schedule for the next month. Holiday season is upon us. Christmas, it's actually actively Hanukkah right now, so happy Hanukkah to all of our listeners who celebrate Hanukkah. Merry Christmas if that's your thing. Uh, a joyous Kwanzaa if that's your thing. And if you don't celebrate anything, drink some eggnog, eat something good, and we're glad that you're part of our Crew, But for the next few weeks, our schedule is going to look a little something like this. So next week, we'll have a regular show. It's normal podcasting, right? And just normal normalness. We'll probably have a Georgia guest come on and give us a kind of a deep preview of the Bulldogs. I'm working on lining that up right now. Two weeks. So that would be on the 18th, your normal 
Tuesday. We will give you a shorter show. It'll be a National Signing Day preview because if you're anything like Kyle and I, you'll know that the next day, the 19th, is National Signing Day. So at the end of National Signing Day, Kyle and I will be back. We'll do a longer, in-depth National Signing Day breakdown. We'll have a couple of guests, at least one guest, if not a couple of guests. We'll see how that works and how schedules line up. Uh, So we'll do that. And then we are, I'm just going to be real with you, not going to record on Christmas Eve. Not Just not going to do it. I, Kyle, you okay with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love all our listeners, but, uh, you know, we, we, we do have families. We do. So we're not going to record on Christmas Eve, but that weekend. So we're going to give you some sweet, sweet weekend uh, listening for your drive to New Orleans so you can have uh, something to listen to and preview the Georgia game. So we'll do our Georgia preview uh, for you that Weekend, and then after the uh, after the Georgia game, we'll probably be close to, if not right back on schedule. So, Kyle, we we kind of blew the lead a little bit right there. Um, Texas played in the Big Twelve championship game, didn't go so well, but still playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. So, let's talk about. That Big 12 championship game. Texas was up early, had an opportunity to put some distance between them and Oklahoma, were unable to for various reasons. Oklahoma did what Oklahoma does, put up some points, and they uh, they came away with a win 39-27, to uh, cementing themselves basically a spot in the college football playoff. That means that Texas then ends up in the Sugar Bowl. So um, the score does not really indicate how close that game was though yeah I mean I think just straight from right off the top if if any of those goal line plays where we had the interception to end the game go in instead of a you know whatever it is a 12 point uh loss that's it that's a five point loss and and, and again even five points seems like uh, could have been closer than that this was a game that effectively was was a push a field goal um for for a majority of it um and that's saying something you know I I think I think this was a great game. Being there, um, I felt like fans held their head up a little bit. They may have been frustrated, and we'll get into that, of why that may be justified. Um, This is a game that they could have won. I'm not going to say should have. There were good stretches of the game where I thought they were the better team on the field. Um, But could have won, and could have beat OU, one of the best teams in the country, twice in the same season. And that's saying something. That's saying something about where we started this season and where we're at. But to talk to this game specifically, um, I think you start um, with probably the two best players on the field for UT. That's that's our quarterback and our wide receiver. That's Sam Ellinger and Colin Johnson, um, who, you know, especially Colin Johnson looked on another plane. But Sam Ellinger, I want to give credit where it's due. 98% of this game, he looked, uh, you know, a, a, a hair less than or just plain equal to most likely the best player in college football this year, the the forerunner uh, for the Heisman Trophy in Kyler Murray. I mean, even just glancing at their box scores, they're very similar. Sam was 23 for 36, 349 yards, 10, 10 per, uh, per completion, two touchdowns. Uh, Kyler was 25 for 34, 379, which gives about 11 per completion with three touchdowns. Um, they actually, you know, Sam actually outrushed him by three yards and added two touchdowns on the ground. Of course, there was that interception 
that was for Sam at the end when he's kind of trying to force it in and just get that last score and after, a, you know, a bobbled uh, touchdown in the end zone that didn't uh, happen um, as, as well as a Kyler interception that didn't count due to all kinds of ridiculousness um, in the beginning of the game. But nonetheless, um, pretty similar games from the two quarterbacks. Uh, and I think, I think you have to take away from that. Uh, I think most likely Kyler will thank, thankfully, thank uh, the MLB. Thank you to uh, the Oakland Athletics. Thank you to our, our, our Lord above. Thank you to, to everyone who has gone in this decision-making that Kyler will be gone next year. Um, I think you put Sam as, you know, is going to be one of the hottest guys, one of the hottest players at that position in the country because he showed it. And this is not the first time we've talked about this before. When he plays that caliber of talent, he doesn't look that far behind. I mean, am I crazy to think that even though we walk away a little bit salty and a little bit upset and a little bit frustrated and all of those things, that there's got to be at least a a, a dose of hope in there? I'm going to say two things that are probably going to be controversial, Kyle. One, Texas winning this game would have been gravy. This is a team that two years ago lost to Kansas. I'm just going to say two years ago, Steven lost to Kansas went five and seven. Mm -hmm. They're now a nine and four regular season team, a shot at 10 wins and they played for a conference championship. So right there, this, this like, did I want to win the game that I want Texas to win the game? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do not get me wrong, but um, it is disappointing to lose like this, especially when it looked like, Mm -hmm. Texas could have and should have won the game. And Sam Ellinger looked just as good, like you said, as I'm just going to go ahead and flat out say it. The best quarterback in the country. He is. I do not like him as a person. I think he is a child. I think he does not know how to lose with class. Uh, I think he is a chump. I will say all those things to his forehead. Um, And, but he's an incredible football player. He's faster than geometry. He outran guys that had the right angles on him. And for, like you said, 97% of the game, Sam Ellinger played up to that level. Yeah, He did. They were dueling. And that's that, to me, is incredible. You're not going to be OU playing Big 12 football, uh, especially when, when they have a quarterback like Kyler Murray. But Sam Ellinger almost did it for the second time. Yeah, and I mean, like you, you hit it on the head that this was a Big 12 championship and that this was a Big 12 football game and both teams played Big 12. I mean, there's a stereotype of what Big 12 football is, and we kind of saw that on the day. Um, you know, again, I, I'll say um, just like the the multitude of fans with greasy Kenny Powers style uh, mullets that I ran into in the concourse that were wearing uh, crimson, uh, not all stereotypes are untrue. Um, and I think, um, you know, this was a game that featured incredible doses of offense. Um you know, UT left some some points on the board where this could have been an even higher scoring game, especially if they held uh, OU to that same score and scored what they should have themselves. Um, but you know, this this was a game that featured a lot of offensive firepower. Um, I just want to say this. You know, I, my hot take here is that I think OU's offense is the best that I've seen Texas play in my lifetime, and that obviously includes the USC two thousand five team. I mean, there are could very well be five offensive linemen in the NFL, but at least four for sure on that offensive line, which was 
you know, unbelievable. You have two NFL style receivers. I think CD lamb is going to have a, a long career. Uh, and I think, uh, Antonio Brown's cousin who while undersized is just an absolute lightning bolt, um, could play for that chiefs offense tomorrow in Marquise Brown. Um, I think Grant Calcaterra is probably the best tight end in the country. Um, Kyler Murray. I mean, the running backs that they have plus the ones that were hurt and they didn't, I mean, that's a loaded, loaded, loaded offense. Um, We'll talk about the defense and how they held up against that, but UT had some weapons on the field as well, and there were none bigger than Colin Johnson. Colin Johnson looked, and I don't know if, again, that's inflated by by OU's very, very bad secondary that just couldn't, (laughs) I mean, couldn't do anything. Um, But, I mean, he looked like any given route could be a 40-yard completion. He just... Eight catches for 177 yards and a touchdown. At least three uh, conversions on third or fourth down that were pass interferences that moved the chains. Um, you know, I think they had four total on him. I think there could have been another another four to five to six, however however tight they decided they wanted to call, which I don't know if they, you know, they actually themselves determined uh, until the end of the fourth quarter. Um, should have probably had a refs meeting before the game. Um Actually, just a quick sidebar. My fiance uh, asked me during one of the TV timeouts, "What what qualifications does it actually take to be a referee?" Because she was getting very adamant um, in, in, with me and yelling at the refs. Um, and we were close enough that I hope they heard me. Um, but I, I I jokingly said, "Well, you know, the, the first qualification is you have to fail a vision test, which is just the pettiness there." But it's true. Um, not to go and say this is a referee game, but nonetheless, uh, to get back to my point, Colin Johnson was a man literally amongst amongst boys. I mean, Gerald, is is he, when we talk about Sunday guys, it seems after that performance, absolutely unsure. Whether it's this year or thankfully, hopefully next year, um, you know, he comes back again, but he's an NFL player. He plays on Sundays. A guy who can do that at any point in his career goes to the next level. I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. Like, if Colin Johnson develops the ability to high point and 50-50 a ball, he's he's an NFL guy. And we have talked about it several times that he does not have 50-50 balls. He has 70-30 balls mm-hmm. at best. Mm-hmm. Most of the times, they're 80-20 balls. When you're short and bad at football, like OU's cornerbacks are, they're 100% balls. Yeah. They just are. The only reason he drops them is because he drops them. Nothing that you can do. Um, and even with OU playing the they can't call pass interference on every down um, defense that they decided to against Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey, he still was basically 30, 40 yards away from having the biggest game in school history from a receiver, which is just absolutely ridiculous because he had two long passes that should have been. One was wiped out with a, I'm just going to say a crappy offensive pass interference call. And one, uh, he dropped in the end zone in crunch time, which you can only ask so much of a guy. Like I can't be mad at him for not being able to wrangle that one. And it'd have been nice. It'd have been real nice. But when you go eight for 177. It's hard for me to ask for more from from anybody. Yeah, and I mean that one was he was falling down and he, he caught it twice and dropped it twice in the same. It was a tough tough play, um, especially after that unbelievable touchdown where he got the feet down. Like he showed he showed some. Uh, that some... was an NFL catch, by the way. Oh yeah, Those that, both feet were in. Absolutely, that was unbelievable technique. Uh, and he tried to do it again, like I said, kind of jumping up, coming down, getting feet down, falling back. Uh, it would have been a, a, another great catch. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, the feet, just that forty yard pass that unbelievably was wiped away. 
A, that changes the entire flow of the game, but B, for him personally, like you said, that, that makes it the highest game ever by a junior at the University of Texas and is just like a few yards shy of so so truly just in the things he actually did catch, he, he had a record breaking day. So I think I think he should be applauded for that. Um I, I you said it and I think it's right. Just I literally think there was a point that the, the coaches said, um, okay, you know, you, you cover him as good as you can. And if you think it's a, a you know, a, the ROI is greater to accrue a penalty for 15 yards than a, than a 60 yard touchdown, then just go ahead and, and karate chop him. You know, that, that was, that was the defense. And I don't blame them I, because 15 yards is better than 60 in a score. It just is. Like the math checks out. Like I'm not mad at you for doing that. If you're short and bad at football, that's the way to defend a guy who's tall and good at football is to foul him. Yeah. It, it, and and I mean, like I said, it, it almost felt like because we were so successful that that took us a little bit out of our game plan. I think I'll say two things that came out of that is, is we'll get to the running game where we didn't have a lot of success, whether that was, you know, due to this or, or other factors. But also I think what it did is it gave Sam a little bit of that Superman mentality that we saw from freshman Sam, where he was used to being in high school where he could do that. He was the best player on the field and every play needed to be the touchdown play and every play you just hold on to it. And when you have a guy like Colin Johnson, just catching everything, I get that, you know, I, I kind of get why he gets into that headset or that mindset, but but what that led to was a couple sacks and, and a really critical uh, safety that was kind of one of the, the plays that, that turned the game when he held on to it. Probably a little long. Um, I mean, I don't think you can skip the blame on the offensive line. I think Cosme had his worst game in burn orange. He got ragdolled a couple times and just, you know, didn't see that coming at all and just, you know, gave up basically, you know, unfettered access to his quarterback for a safety. Uh, but still, you know, Sam, you hope, sees that feels that gets it out of there a little quicker um you know but again when when you're averaging you know however many yards per catch and you basically just when you want it you can go get 30 yards with colin johnson i get how your how your brain goes there you know i i, I get how you get to that place and that's you know again if that's the rope-a-dope strategy of ou's defense hey we just let them do that to us and they'll stop running the ball which they're good at and sam will stop you know being hyper efficient or not quite as hyper efficient in his decision making as he's been for most of the year then hey kudos Ruffin McNeil the the kangaroo secured the pouch on that one like that was that was the perfect play call like I believe Texas was in an empty set yeah you mean you bring a delayed corner blitz Ellinger wasn't looking for him it was it wasn't his blind side but he wasn't looking for it at all I and I'm gonna say this he wasn't looking because Devin Duvernay had nothing but green grass yeah. in front of him and if he was able to get that ball out, Devin goes for all of the yards and yeah. all of the touchdowns. Yep. Um, but you said it, Cosme should have seen it. He should have floated back there. That That is the best call that Ruffin McNeil has made all year. I don't even think they've run that defensive play out of that set all year. So, like, you just don't have tape on it. You're not expecting it. You got beat. You got outcoached. Kudos. It happens. Now, the running game, on the other hand, Texas just got flat beat. We said it. The offensive line did not play up to its standard. Sam Cosby, who has been probably one of, if not the brightest spots along that offensive line, just played like a freshman. 
He's a freshman, played like a freshman. It was a bad time to have a freshman game, but he played like a freshman, and he got confused by some twist stunts. He got sucked inside, uh, doubling when he should have you know, kind of kept his spot and stayed patient. You know what? You played like a freshman, and Texas got beat, but the running backs didn't slip ball carriers or tacklers where they would have normally, and Texas, like we said last week, when Texas can do what it wants to in either phase, Texas plays well. Yeah, and they did not do that. They did not run. We both biffed completely on our Podstradamus predictions. Yep. We couldn't gloss over that because we're now uh, we're o for the last two weeks mm-hmm. on our Podstradamus predictions. Uh, but you know what? It's it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean that happens. Uh, we 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 got hot. We felt ourselves. We maybe pushed it to the to the edge. Uh, I think we would have missed any number that we picked for the running game. I don't think either of us saw the game plan. Uh, coming in being our running backs getting 17 carries for 46 yards uh, under three yards a carry with the type of talent they have and the type of defense OU's played. But, I mean, to OU's credit, their defensive line and linebackers, I'm not talking about their secondary here because they were absolute hot garbage. Um, Their defensive line and linebackers played probably their best game of the year. Um, uh, Bolton was flying around the field making tackles. Um, you know, they got in the backfield. They, they they had four quarterback hurries and three sacks, obviously one of those being the, the corner blitz we talked about. Um, but, you know, they, they sacked Sam three times. They they got in his face and forced him. They, they hadn't really been doing that uh, this year. Um, and maybe that's a part of saying we're not going to double uh, Colin Johnson. We're going to try to scheme to take little Jordan Humphrey out, let Colin Johnson beat us and see what the rest of the offense does or whatever it is. But th- they played pretty well. So you have to give – some credit to to at least those parts of their team. Um, I don't know that they'll win a national championship with a secondary that bad, no matter how good everyone else on that team plays. Um, but it was enough to win the Big Twelve title, and so you have to you have to give them credit to that defense and a few of the plays that they were able to make. I think you know when Texas holds that high powered OU offense to transition now a little bit to the defense or halfway um, to a field goal <laughs> to to a punt um, to something like that, and the offense doesn't put up points that kind of makes you swallow a little bit hard because you know that that's a sleeping giant that's going to wake up. And that, and that offense did as the game went on, but it's a little bit on the offense. You have to know that you have to do everything in your power. You can't have a three and out after you, you force OU to punt. You have to put points on the board. I mean, Dicker got no no field goal attempts because we either got close enough, got a touchdown, we had to punt four times, which is you know not good against OU. Um, I would be curious how many times that's happened in a game for that OU defense this year, but, um, and and then, you know, the late, uh, interception, I'm not really, you know, even factoring into this, but, you know, we should have had a couple more points that just were right there. And you can get into the specifics when you ask the question, the answer oftentimes is, well, our receiver got tackled on a third down conversion and it didn't get called, um, right in front of a a big 12 ref, but hashtag big 12 refs going to big 12 ref, which is infuriating, but it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I I think our offense needed to do more there. But, I mean, to transition a little, because I don't only want to talk about that unit, what do you think of the defense, Joe? It's such a weird spot to be in because this is only the third time all season that OU has been held to less than six touchdowns in a game. Just the third time. One of those times, OU was barely on the field offensively for more than a quarter. 
Army held the ball for 44 minutes right. and 45 seconds. Right. So, and they they still scored 28 points in that game, which is just dumb. Uh, Iowa State held held them to, I believe the number was 37, and then Texas held them to 39. So, like, the defense, they played well enough to win a Big 12 game, like they did. Um, as far as points go, I think... I'm not going to – I don't want to dump on the guy. I've never been a guy to dump on a guy. Um, Chris Boyd, he looked really, really good. He looked like the guy that everybody thinks he is in spots, and then he looks like looked like the guy that everybody who thinks those other guys are crazy says he <laughs> is in certain spots where he made an incredible uh, recovery play to break up a pass because he kind of got beat on a route a little bit. But when push comes to shove, when your all Big 12 quarterback is responsible for 60, count them, 60 yards of Texas's 128 penalty yards, you're not going to win. When your big talking defensive end, senior captain, generational guy gets beat like they owe him money, like it's, you're not going to win the game. Like, and I, I'm just going to say this and make some people mad. The the three three five scheme is not the problem. The three two six scheme is not the problem. It's it's not. I'm just going to say it because it wasn't a problem a year ago when Texas was top ten defense in the country. It's it's not a scheme problem. It's a players problem, and the players did not perform up to standard. When they perform up to standard, the defense looks really really good. Yeah. And last year you had a guy like Puna Ford mm-hmm. that makes a lot of things look really, really good. You have a guy like Holton Hill that can hold down yeah. an entire side of the field. You can say, hey, you four guys, you got this. I'll, I'll take this 20 yards over here. That's me. Um, Holton Hill doesn't get enough love being the, probably the biggest missing piece from this defense. Uh, and that, that's the thing is that you don't have Puna Ford that when you have Puna Ford on a three-man front, it's a four-man front because he, he requires – probably two if not three blockers on specific downs. So it's it's yeah, Texas couldn't generate a pass rush. OU has one of the best offensive lines in the country. <laughs> and Chuck had a good game. You know what? Chris Chris Nelson had an okay game. Breck Hager, there are some Twitter highlight videos out there of him did not have a good game. He just didn't. Yeah. Yeah, Breck Hager looked like a guy who was uh, who was excited about the IHOP rebranding because the dude had had enough pancakes for a lifetime. Um, you know, he uh... <laughs> that was bad. That's real bad. Leave that, that in there, baby. Uh, that's the good stuff. That's what you're coming here for. No, Breck Hager got his got his nose, you know, rubbed in the dirt and and treated like like a child. I actually thought Chris Nelson played a a pretty good game. Um, he's not Puna, but you know, very few people in the history of college football have been Puna who can do that much at that size and be that big. Um, you know, and I use that word intentionally be that big, even though, uh, he actually isn't, but just, you know, it, it's a weird thing. If you were to ask, if you could, if you could, you know, go back and get a game of eligibility for your guys who declared and you could get two guys on the defense, it's wild that Malik Jefferson wouldn't be one of those. I think you, you said it right. I would get Puna, uh, as maybe even Holton Hill as my first pick and Puna as my second or, or vice versa, but very close with the two. Um, and, and I sure Malik would be up there, but I do think our line linebackers in this game actually played their tails off um I think Wheeler is a guy who you looked at in this game as a preview and you said that's who they're going to target and and teams did and that's going to be the weakness and he's not slow he's not fast enough to you know to cover these 
Calcaterra's and to cover these slot receivers coming across who run four threes. Most regular linebackers aren't. Gary Johnson is a freak, and he can do it. Um, But Wheeler was all over the field. He was our leading tackler. I mean, the guy must have lost three to five pounds just in bicep weight, uh, in sweat alone. Um, You know, chasing dudes down, being everywhere. He played a fantastic, literally, I mean, heart-on-the-field game. Gary Johnson, I mean, made a tackle, forced a fumble 60 yards downfield. That could have been what won us a Big 12 championship. And honestly, if the immediate safety doesn't happen, that's the turning point in the season where you're like, or, or maybe in this program where you're like, wow, that Gary Johnson hustle play caused that fumble 60 yards down the field, stopped an OU touchdown. Texas, you know, threw it to Colin Johnson or Devin Duvernay the next play, scored a touchdown. I'm not trying to get into an alternate timeline here because it makes me cripplingly sad to think what could have been. But you know what I mean? It was that big of a play for him to do that. Those two guys were not the reason we didn't win this game. They played their little, you know, their tails, neither of them are little, <laughs> played their giant tails <laughs> off. Um, and, and I have to tip my cap to them. You know, they, they played well, I thought. Um, like I said, two out of our three linemen played well. Uh, it, it, it's, it hurts that, that we lost Stearns, you know, a guy who'd been playing really well and probably would have been a good candidate to be back there for some of those jump balls to OU's really talented receivers. I would have liked to have uh, him for that whole game. You know, he's a freshman still, but I still think – he could have added a dimension to that. But again, like you said, it's weird that we have to talk about it this way, but you held OU under 40 points. That's really hard to do. When when Army just controlled the ball for like 15-minute drives, Kyler averaged a touchdown every 5.2 plays in that game. Like, their offense just electrically puts the ball in the end zone. That's what they do, and they do it better than almost anyone I've ever seen Lincoln Riley knows how to call a game. Like we talked about all the talent on that offense. They're really unbelievably good at that side of the ball. Um, they're also good at special teams. I mean, Austin Siebert, 15th year senior, um, you know, truly may have been the difference in the game with all his field goals. Uh, say he misses one of those. He did bank one in. Um, that's a big momentum shift for, for that for that team and maybe changes the narrative there. But anyways, I just think, you know, there were points that could have been there that even with us not capitalizing on on what is effectively is a turnover, a stop for a field goal, us getting ridiculous penalties like the you know little Jordan kick return that wasn't that you know could have been an all time play like the Jordan Shipley in the OU game and answered changed the momentum did everything with two minutes left that score you know you don't even have to onside kick you can play defense um, you know and on a I'll say dubious at best uh, holding call six yards behind the uh, behind the actual play that doesn't get called um, you know. You take out those singular plays, the Colin Johnson pass interference, the Lil Jordan non-call pass interference when he got tackled on a third down, the the false start on a tackle that doesn't get called, um, that ends up OU getting a third fourth down conversion, or even the five other times he false started that they didn't call it, the Grant Calcaterra um, game-winning touchdown, which was a perfect throw, unbelievable one-handed catch, but was also an illegal formation that shouldn't have counted and was very, very, very obviously won. Um, you know... Take those things out, because I don't want to be a the refs did this. It's it's a push game, you know. It, it could have gone three three plays happen differently, and UT wins this game. And when you zoom out a little and you think of the context, the fact that we lost to Maryland to open the season, you know, truly, I mean, we we snuck by Tulsa. Um, if I told you we were playing in a New Year's Six bowl and we would be 
feeling heartbreak because we we barely lost the Big 12 championship. In a million years, Joe, would you have believed that this is where we would be sitting? You're talking to a man who two years ago posted on Reddit saying, I don't know if Tom Herman's the guy somebody convinced me why I'm wrong. Like, I just, that, just full... Full transparency, I was not sold on Tom Herman on this podcast after the Maryland game. I said, game recognizes game, and Tom Herman's looking real unfamiliar. I said it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to deny it. You can go back and listen to it. Like, I, I said it when we started this discussion. The fact that Texas is 9-4 and four, playing in a Big 12 championship game playing in a New Year's Six Bowl against a team that just missed out on playing for a college football playoff two years removed from a road loss to Kansas is overachieving, and I am completely okay with it. It's I, I'm pissed. I don't want to lose to OU. I didn't want to yeah. lose to Kyler. I would have I would have drank so many Sooner tears this weekend if, if Kyler's second loss, he cried again. It would have been great. Didn't happen. We'll have to wait. Cheering, I'm pulling for Alabama. I think I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird feeling. Um, <laughs> but no, like th- that. I'm I'm disappointed in the loss. I'm not disappointed in the season. And we'll talk more about that uh, after the bowl game. But we've got to move on. We spent a lot of time here. Um, it's good to good talk. Again, good talk. Good talk. Um, but so there are other sports going on right now. So we're going to take an opportunity to uh, to do some checking in on what's going on because there's some big things happening. So the number five. Texas volleyball team advanced to their 13th, count them, 13 straight Sweet 16. They swept Stephen F. Austin and Texas State at the Greg this past weekend. They're going to head to Provo, Utah to face Michigan, a team that, fun fact, they beat on their last two national championship runs. Just throwing that out there. Either the stars aligning. So they'll play the Michigan Wolverines Friday uh, at 3 p.m. They're going to, the winner has the privilege of facing the winner of BYU, Florida. Uh, BYU, again, another little piece of spice there, is only uh, one of the only two teams um, with one loss this season, the other one being Stanford. So, Kyle. We've said it before. We'll say it again. I'm going to say it every time we talk about volleyball. We're a volleyball podcast. So um, what does Texas need to do against Michigan to uh, to keep the dream alive? Well, uh, you know, I think I think Michigan is a good team, but I, I don't think Texas is real first, you know, and I, I hate to say this. I think they they have the potential to go three for three uh, with three sweeps. You know, they, they swept the Axum Jacks and the Bobcats. Or the Eat'em Up Cats, but they, you know, if they can do the same with with Michigan, you know, I think that puts a team that really feels confident as one of the final eight teams in the in the country left, uh, coming to what will most likely be a matchup with with BYU. Now, I would love if Florida went ahead and took care of that uh, for us, because I would much rather uh, play the Florida Gators, who are a good volleyball school. But BYU this year is is very very talented. Um, and, and, and very hard to beat. But, uh, you know, honestly, out of out of the top four, this is the best draw. That's what being the fifth seed will get you. This is the best draw that they could have could have got. You know, I, I think one through three are all really, really good teams. And BYU, while only having one loss, is really, really good. I, I don't I don't know that in their wins they've beaten a, a program as good as Texas. 
Um, I think they you could have flipped if BYU had lost a second game, you would have seen those two teams flipped, and they would have been the five seed, and Texas would have been the four seed. So it's a pretty pretty easy toss up here to say you know this could be a really good match, and you want to tune in. Uh, it's Friday against Michigan, I believe the. Uh, the other game is on Saturday. I think it's a later game, um, but on Saturday, 12-8. Um, so if you have a chance on Saturday, there is no uh, no real college football of any of any matter, I don't think. Uh, so tune in and, and check out the uh, the volleyball. The ladies, uh, again, probably taking on BYU. But uh, but yeah, that'll be a good one. That'll be a real a real momentum test because if they can get that win uh, heading into uh, heading into the final four. Um, then I think you have to like it as a toss-up, you know, a puncher's chance. Any of those four teams, you know, could could take it home, whoever has the uh, the best rally. BYU is scary, like super scary. I'm going to be really honest with you. Do you know who the only uh, the only team that beat Stanford this year is, is BYU? It BYU? Oh it's man, BYU. I missed that. I looked at the schedule. I, I definitely missed <laughs> yeah. that. Well, I, I rescind my they haven't beat anyone comment. <laughs> yeah, but the, BYU is scary. They they've actually only dropped, uh, I think, two sets in conference play before losing their closer against Loyola. Which I mean, you kind of. I'm not gonna say they downshifted. I'm not gonna say they downshifted, but it's all in all possible they downshifted there um, <laughs> to save themselves for the NCAA tournament. BYU is a scary freaking team, but I mean. The girls in Burnt Orange are no slouch either, so I'm interested to see it. Um, and again, I think the only culture is Army Navy this weekend. I think that might be, or did that already happen. Uh, if it happened, I didn't see anything about it, and that's uh, that would be odd. I think that might be this weekend. I'm not, I'm not positive, but like I said, there are some FCS uh, playoffs, which are fun. Uh, those are fun things if y'all y'all want to tune in to to that and see, you know the. The fighting Kennesaw states and the the South Dakotas uh, of the world. Um, Army Navy is also Saturday at two o'clock. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's uh, there's some fun college football. Nothing of import, I'll say, of of Division One import. That the Bulls will start uh, after that. So so get a little volleyball in your life. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. So women's basketball number ten, they lost their first game of the season to number six Mississippi State. Uh, it wasn't close, um, you know. In, in eighteen points is not a, not a close margin. Uh, some of that was probably a little garbage time run up, but that happens. Texas is struggling with some injuries though that are seeming to to pile up at an inopportune time. Yeah, you know, it, it's been tough. It's Each one has been tougher to take. Um, you know, before the season, they lost Sedona Prince, the, the six foot seven freshman who broke her leg while playing an international game for the U.S. Uh, in Mexico City, which is, which is, I almost said a tough break, and I'm glad I didn't. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tough, tougher the team. Um, it, you know, and then Joyner Holmes had surgery on her ankle, and she's been out. But who they lost in that Quinnipiac game, um, and because they hadn't played a really tough team, before that, I think they masked it. But when they lost Latasha Higgs, who was an all-Big 12 preseason team, and at the time when she went down, the leading scorer on this Longhorns team, you know, when you have to replace a guard like that, who is a lot of your offensive production, who's a senior, who's you know a, a leader in your team, that's really tough. And so, you know, football, you can have three injuries and hide that on a depth chart. Women's or men's basketball, it's a lot tougher. Um, to stomach that is especially a lot, a lot tougher when you lose your top scorer. Um, so I'll be curious if, you know, it's going to take a great 
coaching job from luckily UT is equipped with a great coach in Karen Aston. And so I'll be curious to what she does. Mississippi State absolutely got the better of them. But they do play Tennessee coming up um, on Sunday. And that's a good good opportunity for them to kind of right the ship before they, they have a couple um, winnable games after that before conference play. Um, but, you know, I could still see them giving Baylor a run, even with the injuries, Baylor a run for the Big 12, uh, you know, kind of conference championship and see how far we can take it. But, uh, you know, it does hurt. Injuries hurt um, in a thin sport like basketball where one player can literally, you know, you take 20 points out and you can't replace that. You know, it's, it's, it takes two or three people to replace that. And that's the difference between a couple losses right there on, on an 11 man roster. One person is essentially 10% of your, uh, your roster. So uh, nine and change. Cause again, journalism degrees, um, <laughs> Texas men's basketball, number 17 in the country. Um, they lost their second straight. So they beat UNC and then they lost in that tournament uh, finale against Michigan State. And then mi- losing to Michigan State's understandable. And then they they lost to something called Radford <laughs> and played. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. One of the worst games I've seen in probably three seasons. Yeah, you know, it, it was as bad as all 17 people who were there to watch it, um, <laughs> you know, felt that it, it was. Um you call it a trap game. You call it a you know a game that gets overlooked on the schedule. You can call it whatever you want. I mean, you come down from the high. You're undefeated. You beat North Carolina. You said you lose to Michigan State. That's fine. You know you have VCU coming up, which is you know a pretty good team. So you, maybe you're looking to VCU and then a big Purdue matchup uh, also coming up this week. So maybe you're just looking ahead. But I, I truly I don't care uh, about that. I mean, it's a Friday night game uh, before the the OU game, like I get it, Thanksgiving, still in your system, whatever, whatever excuse you want, you played the Radford Highlanders. Like, this was their only win in program history against a ranked opponent. Like, there is no reason that you can't just luck your way, talent your way into an ugly win. And and, And they led by as many as 12 in the first half. As it got close, I kind of thought, you know, this is going to be an ugly win. They're going to look back on this and say, sheesh, we should have. Luckily, we got out of there by the skin of our teeth. But but all credit to Rad- Radford. I mean, Texas had a chance with a buzzer beater to send it to overtime. This time, they didn't have the luck that they had against Arkansas. Um, they shot 18% from behind the arc. <laughs> that's miserable. I mean, that's just not going to cut it. And we saw at the end of that... Um, at the end of the, the Citadel game, kind of the three-point shooting turn, they shot very well against UNC. They shot pretty well against Michigan State. Um, we don't need this aggressive regression to the mean and then some. Um, they need to figure it out. They need to figure it out quick. And, you know, Jericho Sims played a good game, so that's a nice sign. I've been wanting to see that. Um, they just they turned the ball over. They looked like they didn't have any energy. Kerwin Rhodes maybe spent all of his week reading the praises that he was a top, you know, 15 draft pick. He was two for 12. I mean, it just, it's a tough night. I hope it's one of those nights you just, you forget and you say, all right, that didn't happen. We, we go and we win the next two and and it's a blip. First of all, aggressive regression is going to be the name of my first uh, mixtape. So just be okay (laughs) with that. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what, what happened like 
they just were aggressively bad. Like, there's no two ways to say it. Like, they just played really poorly. And as much as I hate to say it, like, you play poorly, you get beat. Like, that's just what happens. And so um, they've got to figure it out. Conference play is right around the corner. And the Big 12 ain't no joke. It just isn't. So I'm I'm interested to see it. We're going to quickly hit swimming. So the number six men and the number one women both dominated the Texas Hall of Fame Swimming Invitational, winning a whopping 11, 11 events each. They're going to take the rest of the year off. Their next competition is going to be in January, the USA Diving Water Trials in December. That'll be at Auburn, which just sounds um, sounds like a fun, fun time. The USA Diving Winter Trials. I don't know why that sounds fun to me. And then uh, Mac Brown, former Texas football coach, current North Carolina football coach, is going to be inducted in the National Football Foundation's College Football Hall of Fame, um, basically for what he did at the University of Texas. No slight to what he did at North Carolina, but... It is what it is. Um, So he's now the third University of Texas coach to be inducted uh, following Dana Bible and Daryl K. Royal. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have DXB, Dana X Bible, DKR. Um, We need to uh, we need to come up with a uh, a Mac three letter uh, acronym. Um, He uh, he's he's a living legend. He joins Bill Snyder in the ranks. I don't know if there's other coaches like this, but guys who get to coach while being an active Hall of Famer. So congrats, as I said last week in my bang the drum, I'm excited for Mac. I don't know how it's going to go. <laughs> if if the rumors are true that he's bringing Gerg as his defensive coordinator in, in North Carolina, then it might not go great. Um, <laughs> I get the band back together, live the dream. I, I, I get it. But uh, anyways, like I said, it'll be curious to see. But what you can't take away is the fact that he had a legendary Legendary career. I believe he's in the top 10 all-time winningest head coaches at number 10. Um, just an all-time legend, a guy who will forever be beloved here in Austin and in Texas uh, and in all who, who, who donned the burn orange. So congrats, Mac, for a very, very deserving award. So to close out the show, before we hit to bang the drum, we uh, we put out a call on Twitter for some questions. And I think we're going to do this periodically um, because I like the conversation. So uh, tentatively, I did not run this by Kyle. Uh, I want to call it blow your horn. I feel like that, that, I don't know. That's a terrible name, but um, maybe send us a tweet. If you've got a better name, I'm just, I was thinking Gabriel blows his horn. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Honestly, it bang the drum would be a really good name for this segment, but that one's already brought to you by Joe Ruiz and we cannot change that. Um, so let's let's marinate on that. Let's let's marinate on the name. But what we're going to do is we've got three questions from Twitter that we want to uh, that we want to talk about today before we hit bang the drum. So, um, Kyle, you got a suggestion? Uh, just came to me in a stroke of genius. Uh, the replies of Texas are upon you. Will Ooh. be what we're calling this segment. If I have my way, I the replies of Texas done. The right. replies of Texas. Yeah, Kyle. You're good for one a day, and that's the one. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'll take I'm it. all, I'm all for. It. So the replies of Texas. The first one uh, is from Timothy Burrell. He is actually one of our first 
early listeners. He's one of our earliest Twitter followers. And this will be a bar trivia answer for you one day. The reason why we put time codes in the show notes, that's some feedback he gave us on Twitter. I do listen. Uh, so here's his question. Uh, Tech, Kansas, and K-State are all getting new head coaches. OU, West Virginia, Kansas, and Oklahoma State are all getting new starting quarterbacks or seeing their quarterbacks graduate or leave otherwise. Exactly how wide open is the Big 12 for Texas next year and the subsequent years? Well, uh, it's hard to tackle subsequent years. I'll say that. Um, A lot, a lot, a lot can change when you talk, you know, this is what college football will look like in two or three years. That's fine. But next year specifically, um, it's wide open. I mean, we were kind of joking before the show of who is OU's quarterback next year. Um, I, I sarcastically said Shane Bouchelle, which, you know, is, is, is a dark timeline, but could be. But OU is losing Kyler. We know that. Uh, like you said, Will Greer's gone. Um, Oklahoma State will not have, you know, uh, Taylor Volt, Nelius, that guy. Hate him. Um, you know, those are all big losses in the Big 12, um, especially as we said, this is how Big 12 plays football is with great quarterbacks, wide open offenses, high, you know, tempo and, and efficient, you know, offense. Um, I don't think it's just what isn't there. Um, I think it's what is there for UT that, that's going to indicate, I think we have a great coach. There's some, some of the best coaches in college football are in Big 12. So let's get that out of the way. Matt Campbell, Fantastic. Fantastic Hot name coach. every time there's an opening. Hot name yeah. every time. So we'll see if, you know, if where he ends up. Who knows? Maybe maybe he's he waits another year and he's the, the, the Gus Malzahn replacement in Auburn. Who knows? He's a guy who's going to go somewhere big, I feel like. Another guy who I think maybe got robbed this year for the Big 12, uh, Big 12 Coach of the Year, you know, getting at least a co-honor, was Matt Rule. I think he did an incredible job with Baylor. Taking he basically times sixed their wins, which I don't know if there's a word for that. Um, but he he took them from one win to six wins in bowl eligibility in what what I'm calling the butt bowl. That's B U versus T T. Uh, Baylor came out on top, getting them bowl eligibility. So there's still good coaches out there, but losing Cliff, which I think is the dumbest thing Texas Tech has ever done. Um, K State, I'm fine with it. <laughs> oh, I, as a Longhorn fan, I'm perfectly fine with it. Uh, K State is just going to be very interesting. I don't think we're going to know what that looks like until we know what that looks like. There's rumors of, you know, South Latrell from North Texas, which is, uh, you know, would definitely up the beef in the Big 12 since since Charlie left. Uh, we need a, a mountain to be our champion if we, if you know, conference champions, you know, playoffs came down to uh, electing a champion to go wrestle on our behalf. But whoever they uh, elect, it'll probably take a couple years before um, they can really put their footprint on it. And again, don't forget how unbelievable a job it is that Bill Snyder even made that a relevant program. It's not a given that someone can come in and even get it to where, you know, his worst years were. So um, I don't I don't know. I think obviously OU West Virginia is going to have a drop off, but we'll still have some talent on the team. Um, I think Oklahoma State will be ready to take a step up. I think, you know, there's a couple things that come, but I think Texas comes into the season as long as they retain all the assets we think and hope that they are going to as the favorite to win the Big 12. What do you think, Joe? It's hard for me to say now, especially how the recruiting classes are going to shake out. Alan Bowman's still going to be the guy in in Lubbock. And Alan Bowman, when he has both lungs, is a great quarterback. Uh, so it's, it's hard to argue with that. Um, Kansas, I don't know what Les Miles is going to do. I don't. But 
their running back get, cannot cannot yeah. argue with that guy, and I think Les will do some work with him. Um, Lincoln Riley is one of the top offensive minds in the country, maybe second only to Cliff Kingsbury. Like, yeah. it's it, as much as it pains me to say that link is just a dude and they're bringing in a dude in Spencer Radler. He looks weird, but the game is beautiful. Um, yeah. so like it's good in my mind, it's the usual suspects. If OU gels, OU is going to be really good. If yeah. Spencer Radler comes in and struggles with the speed of the game, I sad to say it. I don't know if Austin Kendall's the guy if Spencer Rattler struggles. I saw nothing from Austin Kendall in their spring game that I liked. Um, he he looked better weirdly than Kyler in their spring game, but Kyler was in baseball mode. Um, so, but OU's going to OU. I think if Texas is going to claim, I, I'm not going to say reclaim because it's been OU's 12 of the times that Texas has been in the same conference. If Texas is going to claim the top spot, it's got to be within the next two years. It does because there's such a young core of really good players. Um, I mean, you've got Keontae Ingram on offense. You've got all of these pieces that are there. I think the offensive line is the one that I'm really curious about uh, as you're losing I mean, a four-year starter in Patrick Vahe, you're losing Calvin Anderson, you're losing Isaiah uh, Elijah Rodriguez. So that, to me, there's a lot of backfill. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Um, if, if Texas is going to do it, if Texas is going to take this conference from OU, it's got to be within the next two years. It just does. Yeah, and, and I mean, the little Jordan Humphreys' mom did tweet out that he's going to declare for the draft, dot, 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 in 2020. Um, which, you know, as I read that, I was like, oh, no, yes, yes, yes. So um, she, it was She almost... also tweeted some clarification later that that's what she wants, but he still has to make the decision. Exactly. And so that's what I was going to caveat is oh. that's that's a mom's wish. But, you know, Mama Mama Jordan Humphrey uh, does does seem like she uh, she has, you know, some clout. Um, so I, I hope she gets what she wants. But, uh, you know, say you get both receivers back. Say the taste in their mouth of Colin Johnson not getting any Big 12 nominee, you know, recognition when you see that he can put up 180 yards on any Big 12 defense. You know, little Jordan Humphrey getting maybe a fifth-round grade and deciding he can do better than that. Knowing that the Big 12 and more could be within their reach. Sam obviously being healthy and ready to go for next year. Like you said, Keontae. The, the young pups that have come in this freshman class being a year older, plus what could be a pretty wild incoming class. Like, I think, I think it has to be, I think it has to be Texas, like I said, next year. And as Sam comes for his senior year, he made his little kind of Tebow prediction uh, or, or statement that, you know, we'll never let people down and, and all that. And I do appreciate his sentiment. Hey, if you want to be, if you want to make the Tebow pick, that means you got to win the next two national championships. I'm not saying Sam's doing it, but man, t- the the road to it is as open as it's ever been for a Texas quarterback. Coming in next year, I think Ellinger is going to this. This is honestly my prediction for Sam Ellinger next year is he's not he's going to be that guy that's on the fringe of a lot of Player of the Year talk, and then he puts up stupid numbers uh, in their non conference matchup against I. Is it LSU or Georgia that's coming up non-conference? It's LSU next year. Yeah, so LSU he, next year. he puts up stupid numbers against that LSU defense, and like, oh yeah, that guy was really good last year too. 
Um, and he continues to build on that legend. So uh, next question uh, comes from Jake Gibbons. So with the loss of several key graduating seniors on defense, how does that unit look for next year? And then he adds on, what about the offensive line? So we'll start, let's start defense. We'll hit that quickly. And then we'll also hit offensive line. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the guys that I salivate over on defense is that we have a year older Stearns and Foster. Um, you know, I, I, I think both of those guys have potential to be long career NFL players. I think they both have the potential to be DBU when we talk about DBU names that we mention. They both have potential to be, you know, national award type guys. They both have all this potential. Um, and that's just two. But I, I think they can make a really, really fun core to that defensive backfield. I think obviously you lose a lot this year on that defense in seniors. You lose the entire offensive line. You lose Chuck. You lose Nelson, which I'm really going to miss him. He's been a fantastic captain for that defense. I think he's underrated. Again, second year in a row that a defensive tackle is underrated and what he brings in stability to that defense. Uh, obviously, you lose Hager, um, who, you know, for any of his faults or any of his, you know, deficiencies at times on the field is, is a is a cap is you know is a captain is a leader is an energy and a spark plug for that team um you know that's that's him as a as a human spirit is tough to replace um seriously though you know you lose both your linebackers and Wheeler and, and Gary Johnson um and then you lose your two starting corners you lose Chris Boyd and you lose Devonte Davis that's a lot of names i just mentioned that are seniors uh, that's tough to do but you do that with Lots of talent. We played young guys. I mean, you got the Shark coming back. I think a huge thing is you have Roach uh, coming back, who I think can just be utterly massive wherever he plays, whether it's his hand in the dirt defensive end, whether it's linebacker, whether it's, you know, uh, punter, whatever that guy wants to do, get him on the field. (laughs) You know, uh, I think you're instantly going to bring in a defensive line with Taquan Graham, uh, Will Bond, Bimage, probably some combination of Osai again with, with Roach either being down or up. Um, that's going to be a really good unit. And with some experience, the thing that we didn't talk about a lot this year is where we, the only where we did have any, any depth that played um, was obviously when we got to our, our 11th and 12th defensive backs due to injury. And we actually did a good job of rotating in the defensive line. So I think Taquan Graham, uh, Bimage, and, and Jared Wilbon come in and instantly are a pretty good plug-and-play unit. I'm not going to say they can be as good because you're, you're replacing Chuck Omenihu, the Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year. Um, the biggest question for how good this defense for me is, is what does that linebacking core look like? Does Shark take a senior year next, you know, next level step? Does Joseph Osai and, and, and uh, Dele, who, who both look the part as freshmen like monsters, uh, overshone, who we didn't get to see as much of as we thought in the beginning of the year. And I think he could be a candidate for like, wait, which one of these guys, you know, he could make cook and, and some of these other guys who were the kind of the next in line freshman be like, wait, no overshone is the talent. You know, he, he's a guy who should not be overlooked. He can be just as good as any of our foster Stearns monster freshmen that got to play and showed out this year. Obviously the injury set him back and just the opportunity, the position set him back, but could be a lightning bolt. For that defense next year, um, I, you know, obviously replacing cornerbacks is going to be interesting. Replacing both of your linebackers and your line, it's going to look different, but it could be faster. It could be quicker. It could be, you know, a more Big 12 suited, the type of pieces that you plug into there, that Todd Orlando could do something pretty miraculous with a, with a group of 
young but not true freshman. You a little bit of experience, um, but a lot of talent. It could be very interesting. I think the first couple games will tell you whether there's going to be, and, and it'll take some time to gel, but whether there's going to be a significant drop-off or even a significant step forward. Yeah, I think, and I don't want to sound too terrible, but there's going to be some addition by subtraction in a couple of spots. Um, defensively, I'm just going to say it. Um, I think that Overshone was a guy that they were looking to play significant minutes this year. Injuries did not allow that to happen. I'm totally good with that. Let him take his – I think he can still shirt. I don't think he appeared in four games. So uh, we'll look, I'll have to look at that later. Uh, you did a good job on the defense. I'll hit the, off, the offensive line uh, to wrap that up. I mean, you're losing Calvin Anderson, who was good in some spots. He was definitely one of the more consistent run blockers. Struggled a little bit in pass pro sometimes. Vahe's the one that really hurts. He's a, he's a what, four-year starter at the yeah. 44 starts by the end of his career, which yep. that's just incredible. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Shaq is, is staying around. Shaq's a junior. Shaq has been much improved over last year for sure. Uh, Rodriguez is another two-year starter um, who played well, played really, really well. The, the you know, This sounds really bad, but you know when your guards are good because you don't talk about them. And that's that was that's the biggest compliment I can pay to Elijah Rodriguez is his name has not been brought up at all. It hasn't. And that's been a good thing. Um, and then Cos- praise the Lord for our cornerstone, the, the Sam Cosme. Um, Cosme will be around for a long time. Um, he, he's going to, he's going to be the building block. I think you're, I think your your kind of your bookends are going to be Cosme and Okafor next year. I think Okafor is the guy that's been playing the backup on left tackle. He's honestly been playing the backup on both sides. I think Okafor probably stays at left. I think you leave Cosme at right. Um, Okafor is, I think just because Okafor is wider, uh, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's a bad read on my part, but the the thing that really um, there's a lot of young talent on this offensive line. Looking at um, your guards, you got Pat Hudson, Topamade got some play. JP Urdiquez is a guy who Urquidez. I always say his name wrong. Um, is a guy that that saw some play um, a year ago as a true freshman and and had was able to take some more time to develop which has been incredible. Um, and then four guys who were top recruits did not see any game action and will redshirt. Uh, I think Junior Angelau is going to be an absolute monster. I think Junior Angelau is a guy that pushes you for your starting spot uh, and possibly takes it from you. Rafiti Grimai is a guy that the coaching staff could not stop talking about coming out of high school. And he, again... Is is a he's on the shorter side. He's a six four, uh, but he came out of high school at two ninety. So um, that's that's it's a big fella. Uh, Christian Jones, another guy, and then Reese Moore. There's a ton of young depth on this offensive line. I think it doesn't look as bad as it did a year ago when you had a lot of young guys. I think it's somewhere between the level of consistency from this year, um, but you see a little bit of inconsistency at times specifically just because you're going to have at least one guy on that line that doesn't have a ton of snaps, if not two. And that's, that's just the problem you have when, when you're, I'm going to be honest, the cupboard was a little bare when, when Texas got here and they're, they're really trying to rebuild um, that culture and that depth in that offensive line room. 
Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I think I think there's two guys you didn't talk about that I'm 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 curious about because I think everything you said is is right on the money. Um, one guy who you didn't mention who I'm pretty high on, um, and I, I I think the coaches have been high on. He's played and he's filled in pretty well. He's a guy who I could even see giving Okafor a run for that starting tackle position is Derek Kerstetter. Kerstetter's played guard. He's played tackle. Um, he, he's played along the line. He's a Herb Hand type of guy who can who can plug in and, and do pretty well anywhere. I'm not sure exactly what his natural position was. He moved more to guard this year after being um, kind of a, a tackle his freshman year and, and was one of those guys that was, like, like Okafor, kind of forced in early um, and maybe showed some more faults just because he was young, has looked a little better in his time. But I, I think he's going to be a guy who contributes pretty quick. And then uh, one guy who, who we kind of have just, uh, at least for me, come on the radar is the Juco, uh, and he's not committed, but the Juco offensive tackle, Jay Williams, who was, who was uh, Herb Hand's first uh, after the bowl game, went straight out to California from Grossmont to visit him. If that's a guy we land, all of a sudden you're talking about a depth chart, and that's why these things can change, but you're talking about the depth chart with the guys today. There could be some new names besides just the incoming freshman if one of those you know pushed, or the redshirt freshman. There could be some new names still who aren't on the roster yet today. So there, there are things that could change between now and the long, long, long time before the next season kicks off. Jay Williams feels like a guy. He doesn't have a Texas offer yet. That's why I didn't bring him up. Uh, ah. Cause signing days in three weeks and Texas hasn't offered him. But if Herb hand goes out to evaluate you and you get an offer, it seems pretty quick that you're going to commit. So uh, that's, that's the other thing that we have to talk about and caveat here is that I, I am assuming Texas gets pretty aggressive uh, along the offensive and defensive line with Juco transfers. When you don't have a ton of upperclassmen, that's what you have to do. Okay, last question from Jamie Hayes. Uh, how do Herman and company instill a killer instinct over next year? Texas had three wins by double digits this year. When we had the firepower to have six or seven more, I believe it was the Achilles heel of our season. If the killer instinct means putting your foot on the throat and winning by by five touchdowns, then, then no, Texas has not done that. Um, you know, I, I kind of hinted at it a couple weeks ago on the podcast. In Herman's first year, um, you know, he had losses um, of, of 10 and 17, but he also had losses of 3, 5, 3, 4. This year he had losses of 5, 3, 1. Uh, his biggest by far is this OU loss by 12 that, again, I'm going to call an outlier and say uh, very much was like a three-point loss with some ridiculous officiating. Uh, Little Jordan's, I'm counting his touchdown all time. Um, but, uh, you know, he's lost a couple really, really close ones. But what he's done this year, even though we had a 56-point win in his first year against San Jose State and a 31-point win uh, against Baylor, um, he's won a lot of close games. Even his first year, 10 wins, 10 points against Iowa State, 15 against Kansas, 14 against WVU, 17 in the bowl. Um, this year, his biggest win was against USC at 23 um, seven against Tulsa, five against K-State, three against OU the first time, six against Baylor, seven against Texas Tech. If you can continue to win close games, I'm okay with that. What you can't do is collapse in the fourth quarter and make those games closer than they need to be, which is what we did a lot down this stretch. But I think there already has been something that's changed in the mentality. There already has been a toughness. There already has been, you know, even if it's close, like you think about Lil Jordan Humphrey, you know, claiming now what's called at, at uh, Jones Stadium in, in Lubbock, the Lil Jordan corner. That was a game-winning catch. That's a killer instinct. That's Lil a corner toughness. Humphrey. 
Little Corner yes, Humphrey. Low corner. That's right. I forget. Little corner Humphrey. Um, that's a killer instinct to go out and do that. Your quarterback in Sam Ellinger doesn't look scared in the fourth quarter. He smiles when he gets the ball and says, "I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go make my team that I love, my childhood team. When I dreamed as a as a seven year old in my backyard, I was bringing Texas in the fourth quarter down for the winning drive. That's a bit of that killer instinct. Now, I, I'm not saying it can't be better, and I'm not saying I wouldn't like to see. In 2019, I don't think it's going to be the LSU game that we we alluded to. Um, but in in some of our other non-conference games, I would love to change this narrative right out of the bat. I would love against Louisiana Tech, against Rice, that we come out and we win those games by a combined 90 points. I'm just going to say it. I would love to see them do what they did against San Jose State. I'd love to see them do against the lesser thans uh, next year. And then I, I include, you know, TCU in that group as well. Um, but you know, I, I would like to, uh, I'd like to see some big wins. I agree with that. And I think that that comes this off season when a lot of those freshmen who played right away, get a, get a Yancey McKnight off season, become even more of monsters. Um, and we just hit harder, run faster and remember that we're Texas come in with a swagger and actually execute on it. For me, it's, it's like phases, right? I think Herman's first year was teaching Texas how not to lose. There was a losing culture. It was a team that they faced adversity and they turtled up. And that was the culture shift in year one. In year two, it's been a culture, uh, a culture shift of now we have to finish. Because a year ago, like you said, there were, there were one or two plays away from, from really, really being able to to be a good team like they just were every game they, it was a battle and it shouldn't have been and that's that's what happened and so I think that lesson I, I feel like has been learned to an extent this year now fourth quarter I think I don't know if the fourth quarter is killer instinct per se I think the fourth quarter is lack of focus I think you get up and then you you think you can ease off um, or you think you, you don't have to be as crisp and you stop focusing on the next play. Um, and so maybe that is killer instinct. I don't, I don't know how to define that. Um, but I think this next year, I think the cultural shift that, again, this is me on the outside looking in, but what I would imagine just kind of based on the, the talk and the, 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 the cultural things that he's trying to sh- change is now we go out and play like Texas. We go out and play like Texas where we walk out and we know that if you roll up your best and we roll up our best, we beat you into the ground. I think that's that's going to be the third year shift. Where it was last year, we were not losers. Failure is an event, not a person. That was the lesson last year. This year, it's, hey, close. Go all in and close. Next year, it's, we're Texas, you're not you don't belong in the same field as us. And I think that, to me, is the shift that happens. And when that shift happens, then I think you have that killer instinct. I think then you have the guys who go in and, you know what? I I, I talked to former players after they hung up their cleats in burnt orange. And Mac Brown was always like, you know, we knew we'd have to go out there and play our guys four quarters. But, and then you, you talk to guys on the bus, and they say things like, I knew I was only going to play 20 minutes and that's that that can bite you a little bit, but 
that's that's the mindset. Is I know when I go out there, you don't belong in the same field as me. You don't even deserve to be breathing the same air as me right now. And that's the mindset shift that happens in year three. We got to move on. This has been fun. I love getting to talk philosophy as far as leadership goes, but we got to hit it quickly. Bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, I'm banging my chest like Matthew McConaughey right now after that motivational speech from you, Gerald. Jeez, I hope one of our dear listeners takes that and sets it over some inspirational music, that Gerald's speech when he talked. When you said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going back, but it was good. It was real good. When you said failure is an event, not a person, like, I sat up. I got a little air in my chest, Gerald. They need to bring you as a guest speaker. Someone might ask, please. The la- you got Joe Ruiz got a segment named after him. We'll figure out what reward for you. If someone will will cut Gerald's motivational speech over UT highlights with dramatic crescendoing music behind it and tweet it or email it to us, you will have a great reward with your name associated with it so that's the ask this week you stuck with us for an hour listen to this you made it to the end here's the call to action i need that give it to at kyle carpenter at longhorn pod or wherever you find us get us that and and you'll get a reward but to go back now to banging the drum for joe ruiz i'm gonna keep it short because this has been a long pod but it's sweet this is short and sweet i've been sitting on this nugget for a couple weeks as waiting for it to become just the right time. Just timely enough. Like each week I'm like, Gerald, should I unleash it? Should I unleash it? We're in December now. It's here, boys. What what we've all been waiting for, calendars have been marked. This weekend, December 7th, starting December 7th through 9th to be exact, Friday through Sunday, is a monumental event. Yes, I'm not talking specifically about the women's volleyball team. That's happening too. But if you have extra time past watching those games, what you should do is you should find your way out to the Ballet Austin's opening performance of the Nutcracker. And when you watch that performance, you may notice a familiar face. Playing the role of Mother Ginger is none other than the greatest college football player I have ever seen in my lifetime. Vince Young will be playing the role of Mother Ginger. Now, if you've ever seen the Nutcracker, that's the woman with the giant dress that the kids come out from underneath. Has the (laughs) giant wig. Like, this is fantastic. This is unbelievable news. In itself, I was so excited that that was happening. When you look at the rest, so Vince is playing the opening two nights, but the rest of the crew that they got doing it, it just makes it even more hilarious. Uh, Austin Police Chief Brian Manley will take over after Vince for one night. Uh, Kendra Scott, her of sorority uh, accoutrement fame. If you ever see a woman in Austin with earrings who's under the age of 30, those are Kendra Scott. That's the ones. Um, and Tiffany Chen, co-founder of Tiff's Treats, will each be reprising the role. None of them will fill Vince's size 19 uh, high heels or whatever it is that Mother Ginger wears. I am so freaking excited. I can't wait for a video to leak of this. I won't be able to get to Austin this weekend, but please, 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 someone get this video out there. I need this in my life. Vince, you are a mensch. You're a great sport. I think it's going to be hilarious. I think it's fantastic. It will get people in the doors uh, to support the, the local arts and everything, and I think it's just, it is the gift of the Christmas season. It is fantastic. Just like all of the hopes and dreams rested on that one play 
All of the children will rest underneath Vince's enormous dress. Uh, so I'm banging the drum this week on a historic season. Uh, Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey are special. And you knew that, but let's just look at it statistically really quickly. So Colin Johnson left off the Big 12 honors list, which is hilarious. Uh, but when he put up 177 in the Big 12 title game, we know that's the record, blah, 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 blah. Um, he has the second best season, I believe, or not, I'm sorry, the number 12 uh, on single game yardage uh, next to Tony Jones, who, if you've been watching Texas football for a while, you've heard that name before. Uh, with one game left, he needs uh, another 55 yards to uh, to get him over 1,000, which would make him the 10th player all time in school history to hit 1,000 yards. He and Lil' Jordan Humphrey would then become the second pair in school history to eclipse that number. So if you've been watching Texas football for the last 15 years, then two of the best wide receivers you've ever got to see are Jordan Shipley and Quan Cosby. And those are the only two other players to do that in a season. They did it in the 2008 should have been national championship year where the BCS got it wrong. We'll say it, say it before, say it again. Jordan Shipley, Quan Cosby had a special season. Colt McCoy had one of the greatest seasons in football history, period, full stop, uh, and was able to do some special things there. And 45 is still bigger than 35 if the math checks out. So I'm interested to see um, how that shakes out. But again, they are having a special season, and that special season will continue for at least one more game, and hopefully we get to see 13 or 14 more with those two. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's uh, a special group, and it's been a it's been a great time as a fan to watch them. Um, I, I'm excited to see them. You know, Colin Johnson just eating the petty, take it into the bowl game, big fella. Uh, make Georgia understand Big Twelve offenses, and uh, honestly, I mean, even in the SEC, I'm not sure if they can handle 13 foot of angry wide receiver. That that is terrifying prospect for anybody. 13 feet of most anything, if you're not talking about 13 feet, uh, maybe bubblegum is, is a terrifying prospect. <laughs> and even that's probably pretty terrifying. Uh, that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, uh, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can find me at Texas Pregamer. We have one final pregamer for the bowl coming up, and then we will be done until next football season. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. That's where you can hit us if you want to be featured in the replies of Texas, and you can always shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, hook them. Hook them. Big golf refs that know you suck. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical.